welcome to the Self and Society podcast, exploring what it means to flourish as an individual and a community. This is your host, Ari Armstrong. Music by jordansmithcjsclassical.com. Please join my email list for updates or help support the show financially at ariarmstrong.com. Our guest today is Michael Donnelly. He is a senior counsel and director of global outreach with the Homeschool Legal Defense Association out of Virginia. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being on today. Hey, Ari. Nice to be with you. Yeah, as, as we were discussing before, there's a fair amount of con- confusion in Colorado as more people look into homeschooling and independent schooling options. So I wanted to have a discussion for somebody who knows, has been around the block, knows the law, and could kind of cut through some of the noise. So I wanted to start broadly, though. First, introduce us to what is homeschooling and why do people do it? Because I know that you're, you were in a home led a homeschooling family yourself. So give us some of your personal perspective too. Yeah, well, homeschooling is, I mean, on one hand, it's very simple. It's when parents take charge of educating their children and and do it. That's basically what homeschooling is. And they're not sending their children to the public school or to a private school, kind of brick and mortar. Um, Yeah, my wife and I, uh, we've been married for 28 years. We have seven children. Uh, We've we've graduated two from college. Uh, Our third is a senior in college. We've got four more uh, making their way through the ranks, so to speak. Uh, it's a great, it's a great way for children to learn. I think, uh, a great way for families to to be families. Um, you know, people homeschool for lots of reasons. If you look at the polls before the pandemic, the number one reason people gave for homeschooling was because they were concerned about the environment in schools. The second was they were dissatisfied with the academic instruction. Um, third uh, and uh, fourth and fifth were kind of, they wanted to provide a particular kind of education to their child, whether it was um, from a faith perspective or a particular moral perspective or uh, a particular kind of education, whether it was more autonomous learning or self-directed education or what have you. Um, uh, People homeschool for lots of different reasons. In fact, there are as many reasons to homeschool as there are families who homeschool. And uh, everybody has to find their own reason for doing this and uh, but there are a lot of benefits, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of those as we go through the program. Well, as I just wrote an article recently about some of my background, and I my son just turned five, so we're just starting this. So we're not technically even under the homeschool laws, or he has kindergarten age, but you don't have to start homeschooling for another year or so. But we're already ramping up to go that route, and he wants to do it, and I'm keen to do it. So, oh great, um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting to me, and getting into it and figure out how we want to, how we want to proceed with this. But I want to ask a question since you mentioned it, you mentioned college. So one question that people have is, well, if they're not going to high school, getting their regular high school diploma, how does that college track work? So maybe you could share some insights on that particular topic, since I know it's on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. You know, people ask lots of questions when they're confronting to homeschool, which is different. You know, I went to public school. Um, I'd never heard of homeschooling until I had three children. And so I had no clue. Um, so a lot of people ask themselves the question, you know, well, what ha- if I homeschool my kids, can they get into college? Can they get a job? Now, with people like you, Ari, you don't need to really worry about that right now. You can just take this one step at a time, one year at a time. I mean, there are 12-year-old homeschoolers in college, but even you have seven years before you have to worry about that. So I would say to people who have younger children, you can relax a little bit about that question. But for families who have children who are high school age, it's a very present question. And, uh, and, and you want to plan. Some people are planners and they want to think things through all the way through. So that's fine. Um, but the reality is um, colleges love homeschoolers. 
they let homeschoolers in, they accept homeschool parents' diplomas. Yes, you can issue a homeschool diploma. Yes, you can issue a homeschool transcript. And colleges take them, they look at them, they respect them, they take them. Um, you know, today most students take some kind of standardized test, SAT or an ACT before they get into college. That's changing a little bit, but still mostly the case. And, you know, homeschoolers do very well in those tests. That's what the studies show. And, uh, you know, colleges are very familiar with the homeschool parents transcript, the homeschool parents diploma. So you're not going to have any problem with your child getting into college later on uh, in life. Along, the, along those lines, I'll share a couple of stories that I've heard from other people. So some people I know, or at least have talked to, have their high school students have gone into community college during high school. So they're actually acquiring college credits before they even apply to their four-year university. And then another, another fellow I know, he's actually a university professor, but he had twins and he, whom he homeschooled. And if I understand correctly, each of his homeschooling twins aced 13 AP tests. And so my understanding is that the AP tests can also accrue or lead to college credit. I'm not exactly sure the details. So, uh, but I am aware that there are diff different tracks people can take depending on how academically oriented a student is. Yeah, a lot of homeschoolers do this, the dual enrollment programs. Uh, dual enrollment is when a child is enrolled, is in high school, but they're also taking community college or college classes. You can take online classes. You can go into the campus. I mean, today, people are doing lots of things online, especially education. And uh, so lots of homeschoolers take advantage of the flexibility that is inherent in homeschooling to tailor an educational program. And for high school students, that means you can start pretty early with the, with the dual enrollment. I have children who, as young as 13, were taking AP exams. Um, you know, you don't have to do that. You can wait. But AP exams, you know, like your university professor friend, that's a good way to get college credit. If you get a certain score on an AP exam, for some schools it's three, for others it's four or five, they'll give you credit for certain classes or electives or requirements and things of that nature. You can also explore CLEP tests. CLEP tests are another way, college level entrance Examine no college level examination program or something like that. If you Google CLEP tests, it's another cheaper form of getting college credit if you don't want to go the AP route. AP classes have to meet a particular standard that the College Board has for content and uh, curriculum and that sort of thing. So AP classes have to be approved by the College Board in order to use the AP uh, terminology. Whereas CLEP tests are a different program where you study a particular kind of material, you take the CLEP test, and then most colleges will honor CLEP test scores of a certain level. So there's lots of ways that homeschoolers in high school can get a big head start on college. In fact, one of my children, uh, my third son, Joe, I'm very proud of Joe, he worked really hard. Uh, he started at 16 um, taking uh, online college classes and he actually earned an associate's degree. So when he graduated at 18, we handed him an associate's degree and a high school diploma at the same time. And he's now in his senior year uh, in college looking to apply to a PhD program possibly uh, for next year. Wow. And yeah, I mean, look, not everybody's going to do that, Ari. And not all of my kids did it either. Okay. But he's, he's my third son. Uh, he's a really hard worker. My older kids took a little bit longer and some of my younger kids may take even longer. I don't know, but, and I read your article. I thought it was really good um, at, what is it, Colorado, everything Colorado or something? Complete Colorado. Yeah. Complete Colorado. Yeah, it was really good. And, and, you know, you really captured, I think, the essence of what homeschooling is. It's, it's different for every child. It's different for every family. And it can be different for every child within the family. 
well, that's kind of my attitude. Right now, my son has, does have a lot of interest in biology, dinosaurs and everything. But I'll just see how it goes. If he wants to go a more academic route, I want to help him find those opportunities. But on the other hand, if he wants to go into arts or go into the trades, I'm, I want to be equally supportive of that. So I want to kind of let, I want to give him the support, but let him kind of take the lead to, to a large degree, you know, as much as he can. Yeah, that's, I think it's a very healthy attitude. That's, I try to take that same approach. I mean, I think, you know, children have a, you know, have unique purpose and personality. And, um, you know, it's our goal as parents to help them find that and to support them in finding that because everybody's different and we all have a different path to walk. So I think that's a really good way to approach it. Okay. But that some of these issues lead into this, a more general question about what does homeschooling even mean? It seems to be a very fluid concept. And so I wanted, maybe now is a good time to get into the differences between sort of formal homeschooling when you're under the homeschooling law versus there's called, there's, they're basically private schools, but they're often called umbrella schools that basically handle the paperwork, but, but you're still homeschooling and people consider themselves homeschooling, but they're not formally under the homeschooling law versus then there's also online charter schools, which are, formally public schools, tax-funded public schools, and yet they operate a lot like homeschooling does. And I think, so I, I think different people think of it different, like include certain things in homeschooling or not, depending on where they're coming from. So I think some people who do online charter schools sort of think of themselves as homeschoolers, but I don't really, that's, to me, that's the public school track, even though you're doing it at home. So discuss some of the ins and outs and some of the variants of homeschooling. And then of course, you know, you can do sure. these things like you can homeschool, but also be enrolled in college classes. So are you a college student or are you a homeschooler? What are you exactly? No, exactly. There's, there, there's, a, you know, the, especially now, um, you know, with so many people deciding that they're going to homeschool because of this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, there's a lot of people asking these questions and trying to figure this out. So let me lay it out for you for Colorado, since we're talking Colorado here. So in Colorado, and, and I also want to just say, Everything I'm about to say, well, much of what I'm about to say, because you can't get everything out in a podcast or, uh, but you can go to hslda.org slash co for Colorado, hslda.org slash co for Colorado. And we have all this information kind of laid out in a very easy to read, easy to understand fashion. There are basically three approaches that people can take to exempt their children from the compulsory attendance law in Colorado and educate them at, at home. And the word at home is not specifically defined in the statute. There's no definition of home. Home equals within the four walls of your house. Uh, it basically means not at school um, and under the direction of the parent. Um, and you know, as I was preparing a little bit for a conversation, I wanna read this, I think this is really cool. Um, the Colorado legislature passed the homeschool statute, which is called non-public home-based education program. In Colorado, that's what it's called. If you're homeschooling under, as you said, the homeschool statute, there is a homeschool statute. It's not called the homeschool statute. It's called the non-public home-based education program. It's 2233-104.5 if you want to look it up. But the first thing the Colorado legislature says in this, um, in its legislative direction, it says, the General Assembly hereby declares that it is the primary right and obligation of the parent to choose the proper education and training for children under his care and supervision. So that is the first sentence in 2233-104.5. So the Colorado legislature recognizes that parents in Colorado have the primary right and obligation to oversee the education of their children. 
Uh, and so 2233-104.5 is the homeschool statute. And basically in a nutshell, it requires that you submit a notice of intent to a school district. Doesn't have to be the one you live in. The way the law is written is you can send a notice of intent to any district in Colorado. It may sound weird, but that's the way it's written and it's intended that you could send it to anyone. There's a reason for it and we don't have to get into the details right now, but any district. Um, so you submit a notice of intent, which basically, you know, has certain information and, and you can go to hslda.org to get a form. We have a form that you can use that has the information, name of your child, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then you have to do a certain amount of instructing. Um, I think it's 172 days of an average of four hours a day uh, of instruction. And uh, you know, some people might wonder, well, four hours a day, that doesn't sound like much. Well, actually it's more than you probably need. You can do a lot, <laughs> you can do a lot in a little bit of time with homeschooling, but then you say, well, if I can do it in two hours and it requires me to do four, how do I handle that? Well, the reality is, look, when you're with your children, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day, how much of the time are you not like instructing them? I mean, aren't you like always instructing your children? You're always an example and instruction doesn't always have to be just in the required subjects and there are required subjects that you have to teach. And they're listed in 20, they're listed in the statute and then our website as well in terms of all the specifics, okay? Um, then, uh, so you notice, you teach a certain amount, you have to keep a certain amount of records as well. That's also listed in the statute. You got to keep attendance records. You got to keep track. And how formal does that have to be? It doesn't have to be that formal. I mean, you could just have a, a calendar planner and on every day, just say, okay, four hours a day and just put four. You know, if you have seven kids, put, okay, you know, you can put seven kids, four hours or each kid's name. I mean, there's, not, there's a lot of flexibility. It's not really spelled out exactly how you have to do it. And you're only keeping these records. You don't have to produce these records unless you're requested. Uh, and that has, <laughs> that hasn't happened that I'm aware of in the last 10 years that I've been doing homeschool law in Colorado. Yeah, so you really don't have to worry about the schools. They're really not probably gonna come knock on your door and, and ask you to produce records. And, and they can't do that anyway. They have to request in writing and you have 14 days before you actually have to produce them. And, and if that ever happens, you just call me as a member of HSLDA and I'll help you handle it. it but don't so, worry about it. So, so let me but, interrupt you there though. So my yeah, understanding please. is your program you have a monthly subscription service, which is essentially ins legal insurance. So if there's ever any questions, well, it's, and it's also an information service, but if there's ever questions yeah. or legal needs, then there's an ability to call your office and get some help. Is that, is that how it works? Well, that's right. We're, we're not legal insurance. We're not an insurance company. We don't provide insurance. We're not, cause we don't, want, we look, we're not insurance. We don't want to be treated like insurance, but we I are lawyers. We are lawyers. We're, and we're a nonprofit, okay? We're a nonprofit organization, you know, and we're formed to help homeschoolers. We help um, answer legal questions, help people who have specific questions. We also help people have specific issues uh, if they're encountering a truancy complaint or something, some friction with the school district. We'll resolve that. We're having a lot of that right now. Um, we also have educational consultants available to help provide specific guidance for all the things we we're talking about here. Uh, and we do have a subscription plan. It's about, yeah, it's, 12, it's about $12 a month. And if you add it all up, I mean, what's, you know, I mean, if I was in private practice, I'd be charging hundreds of dollars an hour. So you, you can do the math yourself in terms of the value. But yeah, folks can join at hslda.org and it is $12 a month. 
Okay. So, well, yeah, I want to, I want to drill down more into some Colorado issues, but I want to start, I want to do some, a little bit broader topics first. So a lot of my people, a lot of people who will listen to this will be in Colorado, but just for people who are elsewhere, do you have the same state page for every single state in the nation or just select states? We have a state page for every state in the nation and all the territories. We also do work internationally. And so people can go to, um, I'm sure there are probably some people listening internationally to your program. Uh, they can go to uh, hslda.org slash international and learn about their country. Okay. So give us a sense there. So in Colorado, our laws are relatively liberal in the, in the sense that the parent is basically in charge. But give us a sense of the international scene because my my understanding is places like Germany, it's quite restrictive. And then give us a sense within the United States, are, are all the states now pretty good or are some extremely restrictive? What, what, what is the, what's the, what's the landscape out there? That's a great question. And people can, can look at the landscape at hslda.org slash state laws. We have a state laws map that kind of ranks the states based on high restriction, middle or low restriction. Uh, Colorado is kind of in the middle. Um, Colorado actually has, has more regulations than most states. Uh, Colorado has never updated its homeschool law. Um, and, you know, frankly, I'm not sure that this is the time to do it because the legislature seems to be very happy to put more restrictions on people. And I don't know that we want to be asking them right now for less. Um, so at any rate, you've got to, it's, it's a fairly burdensome regulation. A lot of states have a lot less regulation. So, um, about 13 states don't require you to have any contact with the authorities of any kind at all. You don't have to tell them you're homeschooling, you just do it. Um, half of the states or more do not require any kind of formal assessment. Colorado does require, form, require formal assessment uh, in grades three, five, seven, nine, and 11. So was that like five times in the course of uh, the student's career, you'll have to, under the homeschool law, uh, 2233-104.5, if you submit a notice of intent. There are other options, which we'll get to here in a minute about how you can homeschool. But if you're under that law, you do have to do assessment. And an assessment can be either a standardized test or a review of a portfolio of, child, of the child's work by a qualified person. And that's all defined in the law. And again, we have that at our website to describe how you, how you handle all that. Um, so an assessment, but most states don't require quite as much. Um, some states just say, just tell us you're doing it and that's fine, we'll trust you. Other states, particularly in the Northeast, like New York, Massachusetts, um, Vermont, Rhode Island, uh, they have a lot of restrictions. Uh, in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, you have to have, actually have to get approval from the superintendent, you have to ask for approval. It sounds like a lot and it is burdensome, but in matter of practice, it works out okay. The superintendents in Massachusetts understand parents have a right because the Supreme Court of Massachusetts has actually said that parents do have a right to homeschool their kids. And so they can't prevent you from doing it, but they can require you to do certain things in order to get that approval. So at any rate, uh, that's kind of the landscape in the US. Some, some states have a lot of restrictions, some kind of in the middle like Colorado on the higher end, some are a little bit on the lower end and some have very little restriction. You might be surprised in California, California, you know, only have to file what's called a private school affidavit. So you file one notice with the state and that's it. That's all you have to do. So. so I don't know. I'm not, I don't have a good sense of the numbers, but my sense is that most people in Colorado who say that they're homeschoolers are actually operating under a private school, of a, which is an umbrella school, but it's formally a private school. Is that your sense on the numbers? And tell us about what an umbrella school is and how that works. Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's most. Um, 
it might, maybe it's half or less than half. Um, I'm just not sure that that many people are aware of this option. But this is another option that folks have. So you can homeschool under the notice of intent option, 2233-104.5. But if you read the uh, compulsory attendance law, which is 2233-104, um, you'll see that it says that a child is exempt from compulsory attendance uh, if they're enrolled for a minimum of 172 days in an independent or parochial school, which provides a basic academic education, uh, which is defined as a sequential program of instruction, uh, which includes you know, a variety of subjects, which you can, you can read that in the law as well. Um, and you might think that that means you have to actually attend an independent school, but you'll notice it doesn't say that in the statute. It says who's enrolled. And there's a, there's a Colorado case that actually took this issue on back in 1988 called In Re DB, which said, yeah, the legislature said enrolled, and there's a difference between being enrolled and attending. And attending means you physically go. And enrolled means something else. And as long as the school is providing the basic sequential program of instruction, you can do that through enrollment and you don't have to do that in in-person attendance. And that was pretty, that was pretty ahead of the times back in 1988 when the court did that and when the legislature wrote that. So, you know, kudos to the Colorado legislature and the court back in 1988. Um, and so now what you have is you do have these schools, um, they're called independent schools, but some people use the term umbrella school or satellite school, and you can enroll in these, enroll in these schools and they provide oversight, they provide record keeping services, they provide support services, and they're essentially responsible for ensuring that the child is receiving a sequential program of instruction. Uh, some of these schools have more requirements, some of them have less. So there's quite a, uh, you know, quite a laboratory of, uh, of experimentation in Colorado when it comes to education. Uh, and people can Google independent school in Colorado and you'll find uh, any number of them uh, so. I, it seems like every day I hear of a new one that I have never heard of before. So I know that there's well, there a lot are, out there. We've been contacted by folks starting them, and we have a memo that's available at our website. It's uh, the Independent Schools Memo, and uh, I think you can read some of it as a non-member, but I think to get the whole thing, you have to be a member of HSLDA. It does provide some specifics about what are the requirements for starting an independent school. So, you know, if you're interested in doing that, if you want to gather together a group of families and provide some services and you know, not have to go under the notice of intent law, I'd encourage you to go and, and check out the independent school option. Lots of people do it. And, but if you don't want to do that, you can enroll in any number of the schools that are existing today. So let's say I wanted to start a small private school, a pod or an umbrella. Is that pretty easy and straightforward or is it pretty complex with a lot of bureaucratic hurdles and paperwork? How it, because I have it's no pretty straightforward. There are not a lot of bureaucratic hassles. There's not a lot of paperwork that you have to do. Uh, there's really, really no contact with the state. You just have to uh, comply with certain laws. And, you know, and there's another, there because independent schools are referenced in a number of different places in the Colorado statutes. And, and they put certain requirements on uh, the independent schools. Most of it's record keeping. Um, but if you're a brick and mortar school, obviously, if you're running a school, you may have to comply with certain zoning ordinances that exist in your town, uh, which is a little bit different if you're not a brick and mortar independent school, and you're just providing the, you know, support services and the oversight through enrollment versus attendance. So if, if you're not going to do the attendance, you just can have a few families and you're, and you're not going to be getting together every day in a non home setting, um, then it's not so complicated. Okay. Um... Sorry, I'm going through my notes here. So yeah, let's, no let's, I want to talk a bit about as under the homeschool law, whatever we wanted to, 
however we want to describe that. Um, we've talked about, we talked a bit before, before the show about what, who, what are my freedoms as a parent? Obviously I can instruct my own child. The law also says that I can designate a relative of the child. But in, the, in one part of the statute, that's all it says, the parent or a relative. But you were indicating earlier that there's a separate section of statute that allows me as a parent to hire a certified teacher. So my understanding is that I could hire a certified teacher, but I could not hire somebody who'd say with a PhD in mathematics if they don't have the certification to instruct my child in math. Is that, is that am I reading that right? Uh, well, sort of. That's a great, I, I think that's a really good fact pattern, actually. So let's, let's, let's dig into this a little bit. So what 2233-104.5, which is the homeschool statute, says is that um, uh, the parent, let's see, here we go, non-public, uh, where is it here? If you try to read this thing, <laughs> I've read it so many times, and I forget how much I've read this, but uh, it's, it's actually fairly dense, and it looks like you're doing a lot, and there are a fair number of requirements. Um, but the, the definition of a non-public home-based educational program means a sequential program of instruction for the education of a child, which takes place in a home which is provided by the child's parent or by an adult relative of the child designated by the parent, and which is not under the supervision and control of the school district. Okay, so does that mean you, the parent, or the adult relative have to do all the teaching? Well, it doesn't say that you have to do all the teaching. It says an educational program provided by the parent. So we think there's quite a bit of room to broadly interpret that. And at home, as we said, okay, does it mean you have to always be locked in your house, you know, just in the home? I mean, obviously we don't want to do that, right? Because everybody criticizes homeschoolers for quote unquote being isolationist, right? And how do you get socialization if you're locked in your home, right? So, you know, and we want our kids to, you know, be socialized and be social. So we got to get out of the home and do stuff. So what, what parents have done is they've created these co-ops, and they'll get together one day a week or sometimes two days a week or maybe one or two days a week, depending on the subject. And maybe it's just for one class or maybe it's for a variety of classes. And it may be for a couple of families. It may be for six families, maybe a hundred families. Kind of hard for a hundred families with all the kids to get together right now. But that's what we were doing. And so this pandemic has affected the homeschoolers just like it's affected everybody. We're, we're kind of constrained in our ability to get together as we like to do. But at any rate, there's a lot of flexibility. Um, generally, it means not in school. And, you know, probably if you're doing all of the instruction outside the home, probably like if all the instructions happening outside the home, that maybe that's not a non public home based educational program, that would be more in the area of the uh, independent school, perhaps. Um, well, to me, the I difference would be, sorry, to me, the difference would be, is the parent present? Like if there's a group of parents and all participating, that's different than if the parent leaves and goes to Starbucks and works while their child is with another group. So is that, is yeah, that a that, relevant that, distinction? That is a relevant distinction, definitely. Certainly that's probably not non-public home-based education, right? Because it does say parent or adult relatives. So the parent needs to be involved some amount, but again, it says provided by the parent. So if the parent is providing for a PhD in math to come and tutor their child, whether it's at Starbucks or at home, yeah, you know, that's probably okay. So I think within the context of the non-public home-based educational program, I think there is flexibility for parents to include other people in the education of their children. It, it gets into a question of like, how much is too much? And so, and that can, that's a kind of a context and fact specific situation. 
and if people are concerned about it, then the good thing for them to do would be to call me and kind of say, hey, what do you think about this? Which I'm happy to talk with people about individually. Well, my sense is there's at some, at some point, there's common sense can come into play. I mean, is a school district really going to mess with me if I have a PhD in mathematics instructing my child in mathematics? I mean, come on, let's be right. realistic. Um, so I guess maybe that maybe we can rely on that to some degree. But also, I want, I want to point out here, I want to emphasize a point here. So the formal homeschooling requirements only accounts for four hours a day times 172 days. So beyond those hours, whether it's not one of those 172 days or it's beyond the four hours, you can do whatever you want. And so it's totally, if you want to, you know, so is, if you're doing your four hours anyway, the other hours are totally um, unregulated at that point. There's no legal restrictions mm -hmm. at all. Well, I would say, Ari, that the 172 days and four hours are also unregulated because it doesn't require you to do 172 consecutive days. Um, it doesn't require you to, you know, you can do all year. It doesn't require the four hours to be consecutive either. So I, you can put together your educational program however you want, as long as you cumulatively do 172 days on average, four hours a day, uh, then you've met the requirements of the statute. And you can certainly go over and above that. And most homeschooling families do a lot more than that. And you're absolutely right. Let me come back to one thing, which we didn't touch on, which is the certified teacher issue. Um, so there is another provision in the statute. If you look at the compulsory attendance statute, 2233-104, um, an exemption from the compulsory school attendance law is under section, subsection I, which says a child is exempt who is being instructed at home by a teacher licensed pursuant to article 60.5 or 61 of the education statute or under the non-public home-based education program. So those are equivalent, recognized as kind of equivalent ways to homeschool your child. Um, so if you are a certified teacher, you can homeschool your own child without any doing anything with respect to the state. You just do it, you're qualified. We believe that the statute also allows any parent to place their children under the supervision of a Colorado certified teacher for, the, for their instruction. And as long as they're doing that, then they don't have to file under the non-public home-based education statute or enroll their child in a um, independent school. And they have met the requirements of the compulsory attendance law. Maybe you know this, I don't even know. Uh, how hard is it to get a certification? My, my idea is it takes, you have to go to a certain number of classes and take tests. So it's a long and expensive process. Is that, is that the case? I'm not sure how long and expensive it is, but there's, it's, it's definitely a process. And uh, the CDE, people can go to the CDE website, the Colorado Department of Education website, and look at it. Uh, I mean, the, the licensing statute is um, um, it's 60.5 or 61 of the Colorado revised statutes. Um, I don't have the exact site, but, uh, but if you Google Colorado teacher certification, I'm sure it'll put up the... Uh, requirements and there is some expense and there is some time involved so it's and you have to have a certain um, educational credential I believe. Okay so here's my sense for most parents it would not make sense to try to get the credential just to homeschool your own children but oh, here's no. my but sorry go ahead. Yeah probably not I think that you know it's probably beyond what any parent needs to do but if you're close to it and you want to investigate mm -hmm. it, yeah, it there's some benefit. But then my broader sense is that even though superficially it looks really complicated. I mean, you have to look up Colorado statutes, which frankly, a lot of people have never done. And you, and you have to kind of know some people and get introduced to it. Even though it seems really complicated at the outset, once you get through the initial push or the, just the initial hump of it, it's actually not that complicated. 
it's jotting down what you're doing in the course of these formal hours and sending in a paperwork to your any district and then every other year taking care of a test or an in-home evaluation and that's about it that's not actually that's anybody can handle that right this is not beyond anybody's abilities here Oh, anyone can absolutely handle it. And it's not even an in-home evaluation. The evaluation doesn't have to be in the home. It just has to be done by a qualified person. So look, homeschooling is accessible to anyone who wants to do it of any socioeconomic class, period. Anybody who has any education level, period. Um, there's, there's research that shows homeschool kids do very well academically. And there's very little distinction between children whose parents have a high school diploma or not even a high school diploma and parents, children whose parents have a PhD. Very small distinction, um, like a, a one percentile point or so. So well, anybody goodness. can do it. Yeah, anybody These can. days, especially with the internet, there's so many materials online, many of which are free, like Khan Academy. You could watch Khan Academy videos for months on end without stop if you wanted to. Um, and that's just one. My my son loves Mystery Doug. It's called on. And he has a YouTube channel, and there's many there's many sources like this. So, to me, the problem is winnowing down the available material to what I actually want to use. It, the problem is certainly not finding excellent materials to use, um, in my experience. So, uh, but I wanted to hit one more narrow topic on Colorado before we go a little bit broader again. So there's this language in the statute about a contact hour and about sequential instruction, which you've mentioned a few times. Do you have anything more to say about what those mean? Because it seems both pretty vague. I mean, I can't imagine anything that I could not construe as a sequential <laughs> instruction if I tried hard to do it. <laughs> Is that Yeah, you'll, yeah something? no, you're right. No, I mean, sequential, it's not defined. The word sequential and the word contact hours are not, that I, they're not defined anywhere that I know. Um, I mean, I think, you know, for instructional contact hours means there's instructional contact between the, I mean, you could say, okay, is that contact with the instruction or contact with the instructor? It's, it's not defined. So they're just, I mean, and, and honestly, it's never, it's never been an issue. So, um, you know, pretty much any time your child is learning is a contact hour, basically. Well, the and fact sequential, is... Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the fact is I don't think it's it's realistically even concerned because the type of parents who homeschool, I mean, sure, you might read about you know the oddball case here or there, just as you read about the uh, occasional case in public school of public school teachers who are very abusive. But by and large, people who homeschool are the kind of people who they're super interested in their kids, their kids' futures. They do a ton of research. They're looking at all the different sources of materials for their for their learning programs so realistically i mean parents are not doing this so they can sort of get out of get out of the work right they're knowingly taking on in some cases quite an extraordinary amount of extra work though it doesn't have to be a you know a, a whole lot of it doesn't have to be a full-time job but you know so practically speaking you know parents are going to take a common sense approach to this and do right by their kids and and provide them opportunities for their education that actually work for their children but so, we're, so what we're talking about is sort of on the margins, what are the gray areas? When might the state actually say, oh, well, that's, that wasn't a contact hour or that wasn't sequential instruction. But I don't wanna lose sight of sort of the, 
the general picture here of what homeschooling is by getting lost in the details and the gray areas of the one case out of 10,000 or one case out of a million. Yeah, there's there's no there's no issue. People don't need to worry about what a contact hour is, and they, and sequential program instruction is what you would naturally do is just moving from one subject to the next and one level of complexity to the next level of complexity. As children master one skill, they move on to the next. It's you know learn addition, then subtraction, multiplication, division, and then go to algebra and calculus or whatever. That's sequential. Um, you don't have to go to calculus, obviously. I, didn't take calculus till I was in college and I didn't really like it very much, but whatever. Um, but that's, that's sequential. You do the same thing in reading, learn the letters, learn the words, read a chapter book, you know, and then read whatever you want to read, Huck Finn or the Bible, whatever you like to read. And, and that's sequential. And that's what it means in each so, of the subjects. So realistically, it's impossible not to do education in a sequential way, because if you hand a kid, well, you have to intentionally not do it in a sequential way. I mean, it's just naturally how right. it works, right? I mean, yeah, you're not going to hand the calculus book to your five-year-old. Um, so, you know, I, so maybe this, maybe I'm getting unduly lost in the weeds here. Um, no, I don't think the, so. I think you're asking good questions already. Because, I mean, look, you've read the statute like any responsible citizen should do. I mean, nobody wants to read the statute and many of our citizens don't read the statutes. I, I'd encourage you to do so. Don't just rely on hslda.org slash CO's summary. You can, it's designed for you to not have to read the statute. Um, we've designed the forms and told you what to do to try to take the complexity out of it so you make sure that you're complying with the law. But it's, it's a good idea to, to read it at least once. And, but don't get overly nervous if you say, oh, it says contact hours. Am I doing contact hours? I mean, you don't have to worry about contact hours and, oh, sequential program instruction. What is a sequential? I mean, it's what we just said. It's moving from one thing to the next. So don't you know, get freaked out if you read the statute and it seems daunting to you. Go back and read our summary after you've read the statute and you'll feel better, hopefully. So there's lots of places to look this up. And just so listeners are aware, I'll also do a show page at rearmstrong.com. And I'll put links into your organization's webpage and also to the, some of the local, the Colorado-based organizations. And the state also has some pages pertaining to the legality of this. So I'll, I'll do my best to put in the relevant links and summarize it. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll send you the link. And if I, if I make any mistakes or there's any ambiguity, I'm sure you can, you can let me know to, to help people out here. Um, but, I, but I will do my best to point people in some helpful directions here. Um, where are we at here? We've kind of been all over the board, but we've talked about sort of a little bit about the, the, the international and U.S. scene, a lot about Colorado scene, some of the differences between formal homeschooling and umbrella homeschooling, which, you know, if, if you sign up with an umbrella school, you're basically cutting out a lot of the paperwork requirements. I mean, you're basically doing your paperwork through the umbrella as opposed to through a district or something like that. Um, what else is there to talk about that's important for people to realize as they, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking specifically to people who are taking the first steps into this journey, which especially in the pandemic. So in Colorado, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think roughly half the schools are starting late. Some schools are already in session, but some schools have already said, we're not even starting till October in person. They'll do online stuff. And so, especially in this time, there's just more people than ever that are looking at, well, homeschooling, small pod schools. And so, um, you know, what else, do the, what else do we need to talk about to kind of get these people going in the right direction or mm -hmm. pointed towards some useful resources? 
Well, I would, uh, I would encourage people to do what I'm about to do, which is go to uh, www.youcanhomeschool.com. Is that one and, of your pages uh, or is that? That's one of our pages. Okay. And right. it's, it's, it's uh, seven simple steps to start homeschooling. Okay. And so let me just give you the quick, the quick seven steps. So number one, um, you have to click on it to find out what the steps are, <laughs> which I'm going to do. So seven simple steps. One, connect with parents who are already homeschooling. That's a really good thing to do. Find a, a group in your area. We have a listing of groups um, at hslda.org, uh, or you can just talk to people you know uh, at your church or your civic community organization or your neighbors. You probably know somebody. So that's number one. Connect Let with me just throw out here. I'm going to interrupt you real, real quick. Sure, I just, please. Because on Facebook, I'm on several oh. Colorado-specific homeschool groups. Yep. I believe a big one is Colorado Homeschool Support. There's also a Colorado Secular Homeschoolers group that I'm on. And so, and there's all kinds, there's like one devoted to hiking, one devoted to camping, one devoted to STEM. So pretty much if you can't, you probably cannot imagine an interest where there's not already a Facebook group, at least at the state level, if not at the local level, um, devoted to homeschooling families. So I'll just throw that out there. So sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Facebook groups are great. And I'm, I'm in a lot of the Facebook groups as well. And if there isn't one that meets your interest, guess what? Start one and you'll get some people and you can have one. That's the, the beauty of it. So connect on Facebook or in person with parents who are homeschooling. Number two is get to know your homeschooling law. We've done that here today. So check one, check two. Uh, three, this is where we start to get into the actual meat of like what exactly you're going to do. Number one, you should start with your child's learning preference and understand your own teaching style. Um, and what's your educational approach? You know, if you've got a number of children, think about, you know, is one kinesthetic, uh, is one auditory, is one visual? You know, children have different learning styles, just like we all have different, you know, love languages or whatever, you, you know, you want to call it. Um, so, so understand that, think about that. And your own teaching preference, do you, do you want to be the teacher and actually do some instructing yourself? Or are you kind of more like wanting to be a guide or mentor for your child? It doesn't have to be all one or all the other either. So that's step three. Uh, step four, find some curriculum. You know, as you pointed out, RE, Khan Academy exists. I mean, there are there is no shortage of curriculum. I mean, you can find free, inexpensive to expensive. AP courses tend to be a little bit expensive online, but uh, they're, they also have some value attached to them. But you can find any kind of curriculum that would meet your need, and you can find curriculum that's out of the box, a complete curriculum with all the subjects that you need to teach with a teacher's guide and everything programmed out for you, or you can find subjects that are math or English or history and specific kinds of history. So whatever you want to do, you can find material that will support uh, your child's I'll throw this out too. Um, sure. I just downloaded 108 free PDF books, wow. preschool through eighth grade provided by Core, Core Knowledge, which is the E.D. Hirsch program. And I just downloaded the student readers. On top of that, there's also very lengthy teacher's manuals so people who want to get into this, you could get you you could base your whole program K through eight on this core knowledge program, which is all available 100% for free if you want to do the P, the PDF. I'm I also they have some workbooks which I printed out, so I spent a little bit of money printing some of these out for the uh, kindergarten level for reading and writing and such. But I mean, no no doubt the amount of resources out there now. Of course, a lot of people are trying to make money and sell you programs, but there is an extraordinary an absolutely overwhelming amount of free, excellent quality materials. Sorry, I was just re-emphasizing that point because I'm kind of excited about finding this. Oh yeah, E.D. Hirsch's stuff is great. Uh, lots of people like E.D. Hirsch and there's others. There's Charlotte Mason is a great uh, approach that some people like to have. I mean, you just, there are so many 
different approaches and different curriculum available that, yeah, you could spend a lot of time. And that's one thing, as you said before, people can get overwhelmed with that. So, but you do, you do need to spend a little bit of time figuring out, you, you know, your, your preferences, how do you want to handle it? Check, finding some curriculum that you think would be good. And here's the thing, you can change your curriculum anytime. So if something's not working, don't force it. I mean, obviously you spent some money on it. Maybe you can return it. Maybe you can't, but try something different if it's not working. Um, the next step, number five, decide where you're going to homeschool and create, they say here, your unique school schedule. I actually don't like the word schedule, but I'm a pretty scheduled person, but I think we, we need to think about things a little bit different because in school it's overscheduled. And so we need to think about uh, a rhythm, okay? A rhythm of activity and, and it needs to work for you. It needs to work for your ch child or children. And it doesn't have to, in fact, I would say it probably shouldn't, look like the school because if you make it look like the school well what's the purpose of homeschooling anyway but okay so it's okay for your kids to sleep a little bit later in the morning that's one of the things i love about homeschooling is it allows my kids to be kids you know my teenagers you know if they want to get up early and do their work early some of them do that's fine the younger kids we let them sleep in a little bit that's really good you know children need sleep we all need sleep you need sleep in fact you know one of the major reasons that people are crabby and kids are crabby is because they're not getting enough sleep. So make sure that's part of your, your schedule and your rhythm is everybody's getting enough sleep. And then, you know, doing, doing homeschooling in your pajamas. What's wrong with that? I mean, I've seen some articles out there with schools saying, you can't do the online learning in your pajamas. I mean, come on. What's the big deal? Who cares if they're wearing pajama pants on the bottom and a nice, you know, whatever on top. You don't know. I could be wearing shorts right now for all you know. Um, who, what's the big deal? Who cares? Let your, if you're, you know, my, one of my daughters loves to be in her PJs. I'm not going to fight with her about doing her reading in her PJs. What's wrong? There's no problem with that. Don't, don't stress over stuff like that, in my opinion. Okay, in my opinion. So develop a rhythm. Number six, enjoy the learning process and evaluate how things are going. You know, homeschooling is supposed to be fun. Um, you know, you don't usually think about school as fun. Some do, I guess. Some people think school is fun. I suppose it could be fun. There are fun aspects to it. Um, but learning should be fun. And, and I guess, you know, when I think about school and how kids talk about school, it's the learning part that they're usually saying isn't the fun part. But in homeschooling, learning can be fun and you can make it fun. So do that. And finally, celebrate. You know, celebrate your student's achievement. Celebrate your achievement. If, you, if it's just getting through the day, great. Celebrate that. If it's getting through a year, celebrate that. Um, but, but homeschooling is, you know, offers a lot of opportunity for your family, for your relationships to, to flourish, and for your children to flourish as well. That, that was excellent. Thank you. I think here's how, here's the basic progression for, my, for myself, just to summarize. I, my wife and I both had quite a bit of anxiety for the last six months or a year because we our default was, well, we're going to send them to school. Where are we going to send them to school? So then it's like, well, I'm visiting schools. I'm trying to evaluate the schools. And then you, there's a lot, there's these lottery systems in Colorado. So that's really stressful because you can choose a great school and then not get into it if it's a public school. And then, but then I also started thinking about homeschooling more. And so then I was trying to decide, well, I'm going to go to school or we're going to do school. Are we going to do the homeschooling route? So basically I had a lot of anxiety about it, but and then I had anxiety, well, how are we going to do homeschooling? What, what, you know? But in general, I've, I feel like I've started to calm myself into a program that works. And especially as we've started to do it, even if, even if with our, our young five-year-old, 
And it just seems like, I think maybe I was making it too hard for myself and becoming too anxious about it. And I think maybe it's okay just to breathe and let yourself try some things out and tr let yourself explore how it works, especially, you know, my kid is five. So, you know, we have plenty of time to get to adjust. And so maybe not make it as hard as a lot of people seem to want to make it um, as part of the answer and just kind of let yourself enjoy it and make it a little bit easy. Um, but I really appreciate a lot of your perspectives. I think we're pretty much on the same page as in terms of how to handle homeschooling. And Our, your uh, experience is, is, is not unusual. Many people experience the journey that you did. And it's, yes, I, my encouragement is your encouragement. Avoid that if you can. You don't need to be anxious. You're not going to break your child, especially if they're five or six. You know, just focus on reading. If they can learn to read, and some of them will have trouble reading. So if your child isn't reading, um, you know, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Not all children learn to read when they're five, six, or even seven years old. In fact, there's a book called Better Late Than Early by Dr. Raymond Moore, who was one of the early pioneers of homeschooling and based his findings on research and found that, especially for boys, uh, they tended to read later. Okay, whatever. Read, read his book or read his research and find out. I'm just saying, don't freak out if your child is struggling with learning. That doesn't mean you're necessarily a bad teacher or a bad parent. It could mean there's some issues there. So, but your encouragement, your advice to people about not stressing, letting yourself figure this out naturally and, and not being fearful is very good advice because what I tell homeschool moms, because they often wonder, can I do this? Because everybody thinks you got to have a, an education degree and training to do this, but that's not true. You don't. That's what the research shows. When you look at uh, academic performance in public schools, there's no correlation really between the teacher's education certificate credentials and the performance of the students in their classroom. And that's true in the homeschool environment too, which is why you see that moms without a high school diploma can produce really good results. So you have to ask yourself, what is it about homeschooling that creates that? I'm not going to answer that question. You figure it out for yourself. <laughs> that does raise one more side issue that I'd like to get, it, get into before we wrap up. Parents who have children with learning issues, whether it's dyslexia or autism or ADHD, variety of issues, how have, do you have experience with that? Have you observed people who... Or who handle things like that? And how do, how do homeschoolers handle that in that environment? I really appreciate that you brought that up, Ari, because this is a really important segment of our population. And um, it, it's, before the pandemic, it was the fastest growing uh, homeschooling segment, children with special needs. Mm -hmm. um, the schools try very hard to um, deliver individualized education programs, IEPs, for children. There's federal law, there's state law. It's a very rigid process that is designed to ensure that children who have special needs are receiving an appropriate education in school. But even doing that, it's still very difficult. Um, and, and so many parents, you know, they try to work with the system and in some cases it works and in some cases it doesn't. And so they finally say, okay, you know what, we're gonna unplug and we're gonna try it on our own. And what, what I found and what some research shows is that children with these learning, these really unique learning profiles who have autism, who have dyslexia, um, they flourish in a more one-on-one -on -one environment, which is what the schools try to give them, but they just can't. Uh, but you can. 
as a parent, even if you have five kids, you can still provide that one-on-one -on -one for that child. Uh, now, some of you may be like, yeah, but you don't know my autistic child. Well, you're right, I don't. But I know children with autism and I, I know parents who have struggled with this decision and they thank the day that they took their child out of that environment, which for those kinds of children is extremely stressful and brought them home and they de-stressed and they figured out something that worked for them. Okay. Now that's not true for every child, but it's true for a lot. Uh, and you know, you can still access some of those support services that you had in the schools if you want to, but many people don't realize that if you have private insurance, which most people do, uh, private insurance covers many of those interventions. And you should check with your private insurer to see because a lot of these uh, special needs are medical diagnoses, autism, dyslexia, ADHD. These are also medical conditions. And so insurance will often provide support services, occupational therapy, uh, behavioral therapy, uh, cognitive therapy, certain support services for these issues. Um, so, you know, for those who have children with that sort of profile, I'd encourage you to consider homeschooling. And, and, I, and I really enjoy helping parents who have those kinds of situations because, you know, I've never had a parent come back to me and say, in the 15 years I've been doing this, boy, I wish I'd kept my special needs kid in school. They invariably, they come back and say, wow, this is the best decision we ever made. Okay. That's good to hear. Okay. Well, I think I've covered what I want to cover unless you have something else. Uh, please share no. your website again and sources for your other work. And uh, yeah, you bet. Know. All right. Thank you. So hslda.org uh, or you can homeschool.com. Either one will get you to our website. Uh, hslda.org is the main page. You can homeschool.com will get you to that quick start seven steps to starting strong that I went through a little while ago. And uh, yeah, 50 minutes is a long time for folks to listen. So, you know, appreciate your interest and in, for inviting me to be part of your program today. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, have a, have a great day. And hopefully I won't have to call you with legal questions down the road, but if, but if I do, I'm glad to know you're there. And so, here uh, for you. I, yeah, I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing all that wealth of information and experience, which I certainly don't have yet. So, <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the Self and Society podcast. For more, please see ariarmstrong.com.